This is the Chronicles discussion from Hub Culture, a look into the future of everything. And I'm your host, Stan Stoniker. Normally at this time of year, the Hub Culture team would be up in Davos, producing our annual campus and dozens of conversations with global leaders. This year, that conversation has moved online with the Davos agenda. Joining me for today's conversation is Jeremy Collar. He is the founder and CIO of Collar Capital and founder and chair of the Collar Foundation, FAIR.org and CPT. Jeremy, you are working on um, a new project called FAIR. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is? Yeah, um, FAIR is the fastest growing ESG network in the world, a network of over $27 trillion AUM at this time. And and it was launched uh, only five years ago. What it does is it's about farm animal investment risk and return. And it's looking at bridging the knowledge gap for investors. And I want to make clear, it's about materiality, not morality. Investors need data. So Jeremy, you're one of Europe's biggest investors, and this area of combining investors with factory farming isn't something that we hear a lot about. You said that you guys are investing over $27 trillion in five years from other partners that have signed up to that. I'm a chief investment officer at Collar Capital, which is about a $30 billion investment group. The $27 trillion is a network of pension funds insurance companies, sovereign wealth, family offices. If you think about it, McDonald's was owned by a family originally and a few angel investors. Today, McDonald's are owned by citizens in a way, by millions and millions of citizens through their pension funds and uh, through insurance companies and, you know, I'm sure sovereign wealth funds are invested, etc. And what they want to know is, look, we're invested into McDonald's. We're happy with the money we're making. But wh- what are the risks and opportunities? And, and traditionally, it's been measured on, you know, how are the profits going to be made in the next quarter, next year, etc. And, you know, short term profits. In 2006, actually, 14 years ago, the United Nations backed the founding of the UNPRI. That's the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. And what that meant was it looked at the world in a different way. It said, you know, what is the point of having a pension fund in 2050, in 2050, if the temperature is too hot to handle. Pension funds, etc., when they're looking at, at investing, it's a different lens to look through. This is not about impact investments into individual companies per se. This is a lens to look through all investments. So let's say we're, we're building a textile factory in Bangladesh. The pension fund is an investor in that. What the pension fund wants yep. to know is, Are there foundations and are there fire exits? Not because the pension fund is looking at the stakeholders' complete welfare and happiness, etc. It's actually on the behalf of the investors. Look, it's just good business. 
you know, if there are fire exits and foundations, buildings less likely to collapse and you're less likely to be sued for not having a fire exit. It's just good business. So it's a lens to look through investments for sustainable profits. It's sweeping the world now, but it's still not there. You know, it started in Europe and has really taken hold in Europe and Australia and it's sweeping across America now, but it, it's taking time. I was on a call yesterday with 30 chief investment officers, mainly US, and every one of them, one of the top things on their agenda is ESG. And our ESG can include diversity. It can include climate. What these people are doing, what these pension funds, insurance companies, these investors at the 27 trillion are doing are saying, look, together we're stronger and we need data. We need data. So what we've done, early 2016, we launched FAIR, and I thought everyone would laugh at us because who cares about animal agriculture? I tried to get it onto the PRI. I thought we can change the world if we can get it as one of the top 10 issues of this Principles for Responsible Investment, which is now a network. It's the main network of ESG, environmental, social and governance, um, which are the three lenses. You don't hear these days about CSR, corporate social responsibility. That has been dropped. And that's been dropped because that was business leaders realizing that they need to do good business. But you know what? The power is with the owners. And environmental, mm -hmm. social and governance is the lens that the owners now look through. And so businesses have adopted ESG and dropped CSR, corporate social responsibility. And so you think of those three words, environment. Well, you've got Macando. Remember, British Petroleum and the Mexican, mm -hmm. or, or Volkswagen with G, the governance, the corruption with the diesel fiddling on the motors. Social could be Facebook just had a boycott recently because of their support for, for fake news, etc. Jeremy, let's dive a little bit into two areas that you have been personally most interested in, which is the discussion around food and climate change, which are obviously yeah. very big issues. And FAIR is having some impact in that area. So can you give us some sense about what FAIR is doing in, in that particular sector? Yeah. So, so for instance, in 2015, climate discussions really were all about fossil fuels, energy and transport sectors, you know, and fossil fuels have become a stranded asset. Okay. No one spoke about um, animal agriculture and climate in a way. And what we did was we posited that um, cows are the new coal. So, you know, if you're invested in a coal mine, a few decades ago, you would have said um, it would have been valued on a PE basis, on a price earnings ratio, you know, how much growth is there, et cetera, et cetera. Today, if you're invested in a coal mine, you're looking at it on a cash flow basis because you know you're going to get a bit of cash flow out or a lot of cash flow, but you know it's not going to grow. And actually, they're being closed down because you've got new regulations, you've got taxes, and you've got um, technology changes. So it's becoming a stranded asset. If you've got a coal mine now, 
you know, you may not be able to sell it at all. That's a stranded asset. We've got 7.8 billion humans, something like that, uh, just under 8 billion humans. But we're feeding 70 billion livestock annually. And what we haven't realized is that cows produce more greenhouse gases than the whole transport sector. Okay, no one has been saying that before mm -hmm. us. So you're going to see regulations come in there eventually, etc. Plus, we have the world of alternative protein, right? So plant-based proteins for things like Beyond Meat or, you know, these various new types of replacement proteins that are like meat. And I would assume that that must have a very different carbon and climate impact than raising a cow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, for instance, people like to eat meat, you know, so we'll be eating meat in 2030, 2040, 2050. But to get below the Paris two degrees limit, to get below that, you have to deal with factory farming. You have to deal with it because it's it's more greenhouse gas than the whole transport sector. The agriculture industries and in, in meat in particular are one of the largest uh, emitters of greenhouse gas emissions. So in order to hit any kind of target, uh, we're going to have to deal with it in one way or another. So what FAIR does is engagements. And one of the engagements it's, it's had, which has been really successful, is sustainable protein engagement. Because, because it's unsustainable, because it creates deforestation, because it creates uh, too much antibiotic usage, because it creates greenhouse gases, because it takes too much of our fresh water, there are going to be regulations and taxes potentially that come in. And what we've brought to the attention of supermarkets like Kroger, like Tesco's, like Walmart, is we had engagements with these groups for sustainable protein, meaning putting more plant protein on the meat aisle. And it was a very successful engagement. Yeah, I, I'm buying my uh, plant protein on the meat aisle, and it does make it so much easier to just pick it up the way that you would pick up meat. Investors need data. And what FAIR has done is quantify the risk. Investors are now able to use FAIR's tools to turn risk into numbers they can practically use. So FAIR found that over 11 billion of EBITDA is at risk in the world's 40 biggest meat companies from future carbon taxes. And also we need transparency and accountability. By ranking companies, FAIR has changed things in a good way. You know, these firms are nervous about the findings and what our benchmarks show, and everyone wants to be top quartile. So I think the most important thing that FAIR has done is being able to change the conversation. So, Jeremy, that's so interesting. And there's another element to this, which is actually just the, the general welfare of the animals. How is FAIR helping to change the standards for animal welfare? Hallmark Westland was the largest meat recall in US history, the largest meat recall. And the reason for the meat recall was an investigative journalist went in and saw the, the terrible treatment of, of these animals and made the report. And they were hit with a, a meat recall that cost them $150 million, something like that. But what bankrupted the company, Chapter 11, 
was that they had a class action because if you're treating the animals so badly, how can you have health and safety? Well, I think that's particularly relevant now with COVID, right? Because you could argue that the largest disruptive shock in our lifetimes has happened because of the, of the lack of animal welfare in, you know, meat markets in China. You know, the unhygienic conditions for zoonotic diseases. Absolutely. Be, I mean, wouldn't you say that that's like a massive reason to be looking at better standards for animal welfare? COVID has brought it to the attention because that's a global pandemic like 1918. And actually, if you look at the 1980s, Spanish flu, as it was called, people think it came from pigs in the First World War. But you look at all the SARS, the avian flu epidemics, you know, they, they're regular in the US. KFC has been hit by avian flu epidemics. This is not new. Mm -hmm. And most of the epidemics that we've had, I mean, you know, this is obviously a massive pandemic, but the most of the epidemics we've had have been animal related, putting other animals into uh, confined conditions. And you could say a, the pandemic is also because we put humans into confined conditions. Now we've got too many humans. But So Jeremy, these are really big topics and they're exceptionally relevant today, even more so than they were a year ago. Um, when we last talked about FAIR and had an update, it was at Davos last January. And today it's it's almost exactly a year later, and this conversation is part of Hub Culture's work towards the Davos agenda. How do you keep the attention on this focused for the things that you want to achieve with FAIR? I mean, it seems like, the, you know, it's been a very crazy year. It's very difficult to get people to focus on anything when everything is in a way crumbling around them. Their companies are fighting for their businesses. People are fighting for their jobs. How do you keep people focused on the big picture of like what needs to be accomplished here? Well, you, you don't stop engaging on issues like antibiotics. You know, antibiotics, as we all know, we're becoming resistant. It's engagements with the, with the corporates, investors with corporates that are actually changing the world. So, for example, you know, we've got health-focused initials tackling diets with a tacit recognition that lower meat consumption is part of these. These arguments come a distant second to fatty, sugar-based arguments. But looking at it through the lens of materiality, not morality, which we have done through FAIR, helps bypass cultural challenges. You know, it still requires the likes of the World Bank and the IMF to recognize the systemic risks associated to our, our current methods of food production. But we've seen how the financial narrative around big tobacco and fossil fuels has gone. We've been given a roadmap. We need to join the dots and make that roadmap visible on a global level. It's a whole ecosystem. You know, it's taken everything to come together at once to put it on the agenda. You know, it took Netflix, the Cowspiracies, Food Inks, Game Changers and Twitter and Facebook. And it also has taken the rise of environmental, social and governance. Ultimately, it's taken FAIR, Farm Animal Investment Risk and Return, providing the owners of McDonald's and Walmart with the right investment risk and opportunities data, you know, the pension funds with the right mm -hmm. data to give them the tools to ask the right questions and as owners point out the risk. So 
Our very first engagement in April 2016 was with 20 restaurant chains, McDonald's, Burger King, Yum Brands, etc. 80% of antibiotics in the US are used on factory farms because of the close quarters. You don't want the spread of disease and antibiotics kill the flora in the gut so that um, it's a growth hormone as well. By the way, it transmits to humans. So we brought up in April 2016 with these 20 global restaurant chains. I think it was 74 investors with $4.9 trillion. We engaged with these 20 restaurant chains asking them about our antibiotics policy. Not one of the 20 restaurant chains had an antibiotics policy. Not one. Wow. And by the end of 2019, all 20 restaurant chains had committed to a policy on antibiotics. Now we're engaging with them to look down through the whole food supply system. So, you know, that is power. That's power of ownership. And we're gaining traction, not as much as it should, but it's defiantly on the agenda. And, and this year will be crucial. Let's talk about this year, 2021. It's amazing the work that FAIR has done just in the last several years and the many areas that it is having an impact on creating these ESG standards. But what does 2021 look like? We have um, WEF, where I know this is becoming a topic within the World Economic Forum. And then obviously we have COP26 coming up at the end of the year. How do you see FAIR faring um, in this kind of year ahead? FAIR has done its work in, in many respects because WEF and their team are, are looking at the transformation of the food systems. But particularly this year, it's really interesting. And uh, the partnering with the 2021 UN Food Summit to address how we produce and consume food and in so, so doing how we reduce greenhouse emissions, you know, this all drives to the same goals. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to be really important, but the key will be actual action beyond just innovative ideas. And actually, you know, you have the EBRD going on about climate, but they're giving subsidies and huge loans to create these factory farms. The real milestone will be COP26. That's in Glasgow at the end, towards the end of this year in October. Right. We'll uh, be there. As, as will we. But five years after the Paris Agreement, with Biden bringing the US back in, the world will have to set tougher new climate measures if we're going to keep global warming below the two degrees limit. And, you know, I'm very hopeful this will include measures for the meat, fish and dairy sector. It's not mm -hmm. going to be ignored this time. The last COP ignored food. If the industry well, doesn't act proactively, then policies such as carbon taxes for meat will follow. So do you think that the Biden administration has a role to play? Because I would imagine the biggest obstacle in this kind of carbon and climate linkage to the food industry would probably come from the United States, which produces so much meat, um, so much agriculture, so much dairy. Do you think that there could be a way that the Biden administration would be able to, to move that forward in a way that's going to be maybe protecting farmers, but also pushing the agenda forward? Um, he's going to be very important, clearly. He's a new age man when it comes to climate, I believe. Yeah. You know, after COVID, I believe there is a new political will to tackle giant healthcare risks, such as antibiotic resistance. 
you know, it's going to have a huge impact on factory farming. I, I want to get into Silicon Valley and the tech protein space, but I think halting on that antibiotic resistance element for a moment is super important because that is, in many ways, the silent risk that we're facing, right? Because if we lose antibiotic capability, we are in very, very big trouble. And I know that other people that we both know have talked about the rising risk of antibiotic resistance, especially within agriculture, like, you know, factory farming or just among animals in general, can have devastating consequences. And we've seen the beginnings of that with COVID. You know, the COVID is not an antibiotic resistance thing, but we've seen how quickly a medical health issue can upend the economy. And if that were to happen with antibiotics, people, worse, people right? are dying today again of sepsis and pneumonia. And, you know, it goes further. You get more antibiotic resistance. You won't be able to have surgery without huge risk, like in the 19th century. That's a very tough question, right? Because we're using antibiotics more and more just to hold the, the level that we're at now. Well, you mentioned, Wef, um, last year at the World Economic Forum, we launched the year of AMR uh, for investors. You know, so that it's being taken very, very seriously by, yeah. by the owners of these companies. That You know, there's a lot of pharma companies that just produce antibiotics. We mustn't make the mistake or be hoodwinked into thinking that when we're feeding all these antibiotics to other animals and then eating them, they don't Not transfer to us. Their own yeah. Let's go to um, Silicon Valley now and look at the tech side of this with protein. Uh, you're one of the biggest investors in sustainable protein. Yes. Not on a personal basis. No. How are, yeah. Okay. So, but how do you see this being important and playing a role in getting to some level of solution? Look at um, the food tech as impact investment. You know, Beyond Meat was an impact investment. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually didn't think I was going to make any money out of it. But, you know, you need solutions because people want to have their burger, which I understand, you know. So this is not about the animals. This is about humans. And, you know, FAIR has built awareness among mainstream institutional investors on the potential for alternative proteins to disrupt the animal protein sector. You know, plant-based, vegan and plant-based food was for hippies you know, six years ago, et cetera. Now Beyond Meat is a stock market darling and um, uh, alternative protein market is expected to grow to 18 billion over the next four years or so. So it's a very investable market. Let me put it a different way. Why in the 21st century would you buy milk from the breast of a cow when you can buy exactly the same milk, not oat milk, not almond milk, but exactly the same milk brewed in a brewery. Why brew it in the breast of a cow when you can brew it in a brewery? So you've got companies like Perfect Day, which is actually brewing real, real milk. And in the 21st century, when we've got everything else, it's not so far-fetched. You know, I really didn't understand 3D printing until I understood it. The alternative dairy market look at what damage it's done to the to the largest dairy firms in the u.s so plant-based milks used to be one percent of the dairy market uh -huh. as it were 10 years ago it's now 13 percent consequence 
two of the biggest U.S. dairy firms, Borden Dairy and Dean Foods, filed for Chapter 11 as demands for their cow's milk plummeted. You know, so alternative proteins are critical to reforming animal agriculture. Fair research shows that more and more traditional big meat firms are embracing plant-based options. We've got an index called the Collar Fair Index, and this year it shows a 46% rise in the number of index companies meeting best practice on alternative proteins. So, so it is moving the industry. It's moving. 22 firms in 2020 compared to 15 last year and five in 2018. Canadian firms like Maple Leaf achieved a 100% score in this category, you know, and they're set a target to achieve 3 billion in plant protein sales by 2029, more than the current volume of meat sales. Yeah, I mean, so that's just like massive growth plus ESG. So, I mean, that sounds not only very investable, but great for the companies that are doing that as well. This podcast and others that we're doing this week are tied toward our normal work in Davos around uh, the World Economic Forum. And this year, because the forum is happening in a way virtually, the concept is really focused on this idea of the Davos Dialogues. Do you have any ask? What's your number one ask for like a leader or a politician who's in that community um, going into 2021? Look, I could give a generic, there's so many, but actually the one thing I would ask is stop subsidizing factory farms. Why is the World Bank and the EBRD subsidizing the building of these factory farms when politicians and government, uh, COP26, etc., are saying stop the subsidies? Let the market dictate. And then finally, for you personally, what does 2021 look like for you and with FAIR? When you look back at the end of this year ahead, what would you like to see have happened that's made a difference? So for the last 25 years, factory farming has become the predominant mode of global animal protein production. Okay. In other words, in the past 25 years, the percentage of factory farmed U.S. pigs has gone from 30 percent to to over 97 percent. 97 percent of all pig production are in factory farming, wow. are factory farmed in the last two decades. From 1993, the global chicken population has grown by nearly 100 percent. The whole point of this stranded asset discussion is to start seeing a reversal of that trend. I hope uh, 2021 would be uh, the peak that gets us on the track to meeting global protein demand. Yeah, sustainably. Wow. I mean, that's a a lot of cows, chickens and pigs that are honestly needlessly suffering as well. I mean, I get that you're an investor and the numbers are what drive investors and drive pension funds and everything else. But I think from a from a, just a personal standpoint or a human standpoint, just the sheer misery that's inflicted upon these animals in the conditions that they are forced to live in their entire lives is something that just the average person, when they really stop to think about it, has to consider. And so I want to thank you on behalf of all of my friends and the people that I know for working so hard, Jeremy, to try to change the trajectory of this topic 
to bring light to the topic and to set the standards through FAIR and the growth in ESG to give us the momentum and the impetus to change it. So thank you for that. Really fascinating insights into the world of factory farming. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. If you want to find out more, uh, Google and find FAIR online at FAIR.org. We look forward to seeing you again soon for another Davos Agenda discussion from Emerald City. For those of you who listen to podcasts, you can find the Hub Culture Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts, especially on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you for the next conversation soon. Oh, my God.